Well, all right. Today we're in Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, talking about submission, talking about marriage, talking about all these, at times, controversial ideas. I don't know why, but we're going to do our best to explain what it means okay, to be a godly spouse, whether you're a husband or a wife, and to have a godly marriage. We're going to look at Ephesians 5. And there's actually a hidden meaning behind marriage. There's actually a deeper purpose behind what most people think. And so um, one of the questions we'll be tackling also is, hey, is it just the wife's job to submit? Obviously, Ephesians 5, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. What if there's a form of submission on the part of the husband too? What if husbands and wives are both called to submit to a degree in a different way as unto the Lord in a marriage context? And what does that do when it comes to, you know, um, the gospel and the kingdom of God? We're going to tackle all these different things. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. I'm going to read this section. Then we're going to go back, break it down, and connect it to a few key scriptures that are really, really important to understand. Okay. So Ephesians chapter 5, if you're on TikTok, you can go join us on YouTube and read the scriptures with us. Ephesians 5, 22 says... Hey, wives, women in marriage, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, I know a lot of people are tuning out before you just block me out. Hear me out. The submission part is not because the wife is inferior, less valuable, or has a lesser role. Okay, and the husband being the head and leader and the, the caretaker and provider, that's not because the husband is superior or more valuable or greater. Okay, it's not why that's happening. Verse 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives, you should submit in everything to husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that she might be holy and without blemish or blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore a man shall, he's going to quote Genesis here, Genesis uh, chapter 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See, there's a mystery within marriage. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so what we're tackling today is how to have the best, most godly marriage possible. What's the hidden meaning behind marriage? How do we cultivate the best marriage? How do we be the best possible spouse, whether you're a wife or husband? How do I do that? And this idea of marriage, actually, we have to plug it into the greater context. So if you go to Ephesians 5 verse 1, okay, just 21 verses prior, this is the, the main idea. Paul says, hey, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love now, in other words, when I live in, in the way of love that Jesus modeled for us, I'm imitating my father and I'm being a child of God appropriately. I'm not like attaining a higher status or anything, but I'm living like 
who he calls me, how, who he says I am. Okay. So walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So we, we have to keep this passage on marriage. We have to plug it into the greater context and say, no matter what, this idea of marriage and wives play a role. Husbands do your role. The point of that is to say, this is your way of imitating God and walking in love as beloved children. And no matter what, husband, wife, unmarried, single, no matter what you are, you're going to find yourself, if you're going to walk in the way of love and honor God as a beloved child, you're going to lay your life down like Jesus did, okay? You're going to lay your life down, um, often at your own expense, denying your own flesh, taking up your cross, uh, denying yourself. It's a part of self-sacrificial love is that I'm actually giving myself for your benefit, even if it costs me, even if it doesn't benefit me as much, even if there's not as much gain involved for me. So we have to keep marriage, uh, this, these, these instructions on how to be godly wives and husbands, we have to keep it in, in plugged into the greater context and say, okay, this is just one of the ways spouses can self-sacrificially live um, out of love for people and imitate their father. And, and really Jesus who laid his life down um, for our benefit. And we ha also have to back it up to verse 21, <clears throat> the verse right before this, okay? This is what Paul says. He says, church, this is not just for wives. This is, just not, this is not just for husbands. This is for every single believer. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, this is the will of God for you. He's talking about the will of the Lord in verse 17. And the will of God is that we would imitate him, walk in love, lay down our lives, live in self-sacrificial love that benefits people. And that looks like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That doesn't seem to be just for women. That's not just for wives. That's for every believer. So no matter what, we can definitely say, Every Christian is called to submit. Who are they submitting to? Well, they're submitting mainly to God, mainly honoring Him and listening to His voice and, and laying their life down for Him. But it looks like submitting to one another. In other words, when you honor God, okay, that looks like submitting your life under and for the benefit of another. Okay, so as we move into verse 22, and he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. We already know every person has a degree of submission. Every single Christian is going to submit in a different way. And it's going to look different based on, you know, what God's called them to do and their role in the church and their part in the body and, and their role in the marriage. Everyone is submitting. Can we just throw that on the table? Everyone is willingly laying down their life in self-sacrificial love for the benefit of another. Okay. So verse 22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So what we have to do is go, what is this Greek word submit, which carries a lot of unnecessary cultural baggage? What does it mean? And here are just a few ways to explain it. I'm not just softening the blow and watering it down. I'm explaining it in a way that removes the unnecessary obstacles. Because when, when people hear this, ah, just about mindless submission, just, just chauvinist. No, the word submit doesn't really mean what you think it means, okay? Here's what submit means. 
It means to subject oneself to. It means to respect. Okay, because if you go all the way down to verse 33, Paul's clarifying, look, wife, just respect husband. That's not mindless. That's not compromising. That's not, I have no say in the matter. That's, I respect the leadership and the, the authority and the, and the care and the direction and the role that my husband has. I respect that. And I, I do because God has ordained it to be this way. So to submit is to subject myself to, to, to respect, to yield myself over to the leadership of another. Okay, this is the idea of submission. It's subjection to come under and listen to the voice of another. And again, the subjection, this, this submission, it is not mindless. It is not compromising to the point that I'll disobey God in order to submit to husband. And this is not as if to be less valuable. This is not the wife submitting because they're inferior. So we have to really, really keep this intact. Okay, that um, the Christian wife, the wife in general, the marriage context, women aren't meant to uh, submit to the husband as if they're inferior. They're not supposed to operate and function as less valuable. They're not mindlessly, yes, husband, everything you say, I don't even think about what you're saying because you're the master, right? That's not the idea here. It's actually as to the Lord. And there are a couple ways to explain this wife, loving, godly wife. You're actually coming under the leadership and the care and the provision of your husband and listening to his voice, trusting that God is leading him, you do that as an offering to the Lord. So this isn't you choosing husband over God. This is you choosing to, to um, uh, follow God faithfully. And it looks like listening to his voice by listening to, to the husband he's placed in your life. And again, you're not assuming everything my husband believes and thinks and feels is godly and everywhere he takes us is godly. But there are times where you lay down your preference. There are times where you choose um, what your husband says over what you feel and think is best. And it doesn't mean you don't have a say in the matter and there's no prayer and there's no mutual agreement. But the wife does respect and listen to the husband. And it's this idea of coming under. Okay, now watch. Look at verse 23. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife. What does that mean? There's that oppressive, burdensome, yeah, biblical husbandry there. Well, look, at Jesus is the head of the church. As Jesus is the head of the church, is Jesus an oppressive uh, chief head? No. Is he a burdensome chief head? No. Is he a dictator? No. He's a loving, self-sacrificial savior. So, the husband is the head of the wife as Jesus is the head of the church, his body. And he is himself its savior. Now, what you have to ask is, why does Paul emphasize that Jesus is the savior of the church? Why does he emphasize that when he's talking about how husbands are the head of their wives? So, no matter what, he's making a compar comparison. He's saying, husbands, you are the head of your wife in the same way as Jesus is the chief head or leader of the church, which is the body. Okay? Not only are we similar in roles, but we function the same way. And Jesus, he operated and functioned as the Savior. He laid his life down. He gave himself up. 
Okay, that's the idea here. So husbands are called to give up self, lay down self at the altar for the good of their wife. Doesn't that sound like a form of submission and subjection and laying down oneself for the benefit of another? That's exactly what the wife is doing. The wife and husband are doing the exact same self-sacrificial, loving subjection unto the Lord, but they're doing it in different roles and they're doing it in different ways. Okay. So verse 24, it says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I'll read that again because people like to argue with that. There's really no way to get out of it. As the church submits to Christ. Think about the way that you have uh, committed your allegiance to Jesus. Think about the way that you listen to the voice of your Savior. Think about the way that you often uh, choose to obey God instead of your feelings and emotions and, and preferences. Think about how you, you lay down your life unto God out of loyalty to Him and out of trust and faith. That kind of um, uh, entrusting myself to the King and his leadership and direction and listening to his voice, that carries over, okay? That carries over into the marriage setting where the wife is saying, I respect husband and I listen to his direction and I come under his care and I come under his provision. And for me to fight against his leadership and direction is to come outside the graces of provision and protection and care. There's a huge responsibility on both the husband and wife. It's not wife, do your job so the husband can have an easier life. It's not husband, do your job so the wife can have an easier life. It's both are playing their roles, making the marriage better and making each of their lives easier. Both are, are, are mutually benefiting. Both are experiencing incredible um, comfort and, and, and ease and, and uh, benefit from it. So... Verse 24 makes it clear to me, and verse 23, that no matter what, the husband, I'm not saying the husband is the savior of the wife. That's not the idea here. Christ is the savior. But you wonder, what did Jesus do? What did, what did him saving humanity look like? Well, he obeyed the father to the point of death on a cross. Well, he resisted his human will in the garden of Gethsemane. Well, he, he, he sweat, uh, uh, what's it called? Blood because he was such in, in such distress. But he chose to be obedient, lay down his life, and love the people who were accusing him on, and, and condemning him to the cross. And Jesus stayed and he, he hung there until it was finished. And he gave himself up. And he went as, a, a, as silent as a lamb is to the slaughter. And he didn't accuse or judge or condemn. He stayed silent. He, he didn't defend himself. He gave himself up for the benefit of humanity. That's the idea of the husband loving the wife. Now again, that doesn't save the soul of the wife. I'm not the savior. But I operate just like the savior did. And I imitate the savior. Because remember, bring it back to verse 1. If you're really beloved children of God, imitate your father. And husbands, one of the ways you imitate Jesus 
is by choosing to lay yourself down, your preferences, your comforts, your convenience, your agenda, your ideas for the day, your vision board, your video game time, you lay it down and you put yourself, uh, you give yourself up for the benefit of your wife and you make yourself available and you come around her however she needs help and assistance and care and you, your life is now lived out, not just for her benefit, but for her benefit as well as the benefit of others. In other words, you should be a reason that your wife's life is better. And, and, and wife, you should make it easier on your husband to lead you into a better life. Make it easier on him by like respecting his leadership and direction and care and provision and, and being grateful and thankful and working alongside him and co-laboring and raising the kids and, and do your role alongside his. And, and when each spouse is playing their role, it makes the other's role easier. It's really difficult for a husband to lead a nagging, complaining wife that's never thankful. And wife, it's, it's hard to respect a husband that doesn't even care about the voice of God, that isn't concerned with the truth of God, that isn't being led by the good shepherd. That's hard to follow. That's hard to submit to when you're like, I don't even know if my husband's following Jesus here. What if I'm submitting to a poor decision? You know, so both are playing their role effectively and well. Now, verse 25, if you think the wife has it hard, okay, if you think the wife has it hard, just listen to the calling on the husband. Not saying one is harder than the other. I'm saying both are equally difficult. Both are very hard. <laughs> to be a godly spouse in general is freaking hard because there's so much flesh involved, so much pushback and opposition and anger and rage and annoyance and bitterness and, and all of them. The bills are piling up and financial issues and you're late to pick up the kids and there's so much fighting against us to be godly parents, godly spouses. So this isn't easy by any stretch of the imagination. This is not easy, but it's possible. And no matter what, this is the beautiful thing. The wives and husbands are equal, equal in value, equal in, um, in uh, esteem and identity and standing before God, equal in purpose. But the way that we function, the way that we honor God, the way that we actually accomplish the purpose on our life, that's going to look a little different. We're gifted differently. We play different roles to accomplish the same purpose and follow the same Savior and honor the same God. And no matter what, husband and wife, you're imitating the same Savior. Like wives, when you look at Jesus as your example of humble submission, there you go. And husbands, when you look at Jesus as, as the perfect example of love and cherishing and care and, and self-sacrificial love and surrender, you go, man, that's a high standard. That's the point. Husbands and wives need to raise their standards and stop looking at other parents and spouses on Instagram and stop looking at the other spouses in the neighborhood or, who are constantly bickering and, well, at least we're not like them. We need to look at Jesus. And the wives go, am I really respecting husband and, and trusting his leadership and, and coming under his care and, and yielding myself over to his care and provision like Jesus laid his life down. And husbands, are you caring for your wife and loving her the way Jesus actually gave himself up to love and cherish the church? 
for their holiness, for our benefit. You're not, husband, you're not giving yourself over to get some kind of reward. You're not giving yourself up for the benefit of your wife for what it can do for you. This isn't about self-benefit. This is about, I just want your life to be better because I'm a part of it. Whether I'm a husband or wife, my role, my purpose, my value, my standing before the Father, and the one that I'm imitating, it's all the same. It's all the same. But the way that fleshes itself out is different for wife than husband. Different for husband than wife, okay? So verse 25, look at the calling on a husband. Just want you to see it. It says, husbands, love your wives. And you're like, as a woman, you're like, wow, that's all the guys have to do? That's all they have to do is love wife? How hard is that? Pretty friggin' hard, if you ask me. Not because women are difficult, but because my flesh pushes back against the ways of love. And this world is pushing against what God defines as love. And the culture I live in, in society, and every social media platform I go to, it's defining love differently, and it's pushing back against my desire to love my spouse. It's pretty hard. But even if it wasn't hard, okay? For a wife to go, oh my gosh, that's all you have to do is love us. We have to respect you. We have to yield ourselves over and come under your protection and care. That's some humility. And I go, well, I think it's the same amount of humility to love and value another over yourself and lay yourself down constantly as the husband. No matter what, husband and wife are laying self down. That's the, that's the, that's the context. That's the context. I want you to see this. You want to see what a godly marriage looks like? It looks like a husband and a wife going after Jesus and daily laying themselves down at the altar saying, I am not the ultimate in the universe. I'm not the center of the universe. My life is for God's glory and what glorifies him and expresses love for him is when I love and serve the spouse he's given me. So look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? The way that Christ loved the church. Are you serious? That's the standard? Perfect love? Like the epitome of love? The personification of love? That's my standard? When you're like, how do I be a better husband? How much... You know, how good am I doing? Look at Jesus. Or when you're like, how good of a wife am I being? Look at Jesus. What did his submission look like? What did his obedience look like? What did his listening to the Father look like? What did his entrusting himself to the Father look like? There's a high standard, guys. And all I'm saying, that standard needs to stay in place. Otherwise, you grow prideful and egotistical, like, I'm the, I'm the greatest husband there's ever been. I'm the greatest wife that's ever walked the face of the earth. And you grow prideful and arrogant because you lost sight of the one who you're supposed to be imitating. You're not supposed to be better than Cheryl down the street. You're not supposed to be better than Todd, you know, at the local sports league. You're supposed to be like Jesus. So no matter what, there's always growth that needs to happen as a husband and wife. Now, Jesus gave himself up, surrendered himself, gave himself over for the benefit of his people, for the bride. That's the idea at play here. So Jesus goes, I will give self up my life. I'll lay it down. I will die. 
for my bride, for my church, for my people, for humanity. And I believe in limited atonement. That's why I said for humanity. Verse 26 says, so that he might sanctify her. What was the purpose and the intention behind Jesus laying his life down for the, the humanity? Well, the purpose was to purify and cleanse and sanctify the bride of Christ who would trust in him. In other words, Jesus makes way for purification. He makes way for forgiveness. He makes way for our righteousness and our holiness and our blamelessness before the Father. He makes way for that. That was his purpose. That's what love looks like, is it's concerned with the purity and the holiness of another. Not self-righteously, not arrogantly, not judgmentally, not hypocritically. I'm concerned with the holiness and the purity of someone else because I know that's what's most beneficial to them. The fullest, most abundant life possible is found in the truth of God. And so Jesus was concerned with the holiness of the church so much so that he said, I really want them to be made holy and forgiven and righteous before my father. So I'm willing to die for it. And I'm willing to lay my life down for my bride. That's the standard for a husband. That's the standard for a husband is to look at that self-sacrificial love and concern for holiness and desire for purity of the bride and to go as a husband, I'm supposed to function like that. That's freaking hard. That is not easy. That's not easy. That means husbands, if you're going to live godly and imitate the love of Jesus, you're going to be concerned with the purity and the holiness and the righteous living of your wife. You're not detached from it and going, well, it's her relationship and God. I'm not getting in the middle of it. No, God has put you in her life to influence and positively impact that relationship that she has with God. You're an, you're an addition. You're an asset. Okay, you're God's blessing, and just as she's a blessing to you, and this is where we get into the purpose and the real meaning behind marriage. A lot of people misunderstand marriage. Okay, one of the reasons and purposes behind marriage is that God would use marriage to make us more holy. Not positionally before the Father. I'm talking about in everyday lifestyle. God uses marriage and brings you a spouse to make you more like Jesus. To bring challenges and difficulties and pushbacks and opportunities for patience and arguments and these opportunities to lay self down. He brings you a spouse so that now you have an opportunity and a challenge to become more and more like Jesus every day because of that spouse that you're serving. So we need to stop going, marriage is for my convenience and my happiness and, and my personal pleasure. It's not. You might gain pleasure and happiness as a byproduct. That's not the main purpose of marriage. God didn't send you a spouse and he won't send you a spouse just for the sake of your convenience and personal bliss. 
He has an entirely different purpose that, in, that includes happiness and, and pleasure and, and enjoyment, but it's mainly to make you more like his son. And that's just another way he does it. That's just another way he sharpens you and rips out sinfulness and transforms you and shapes you, right? And adds things that needs to be there and replaces things. He does that in a marriage context. So husbands, if you want to love your wife, you better answer the call to give yourself up for her. And that's not just, I'm willing to stand in front of a car and die for her. That means daily, you're willing to die to your flesh, to sacrifice video game time, to shut off Netflix, to not go hang with the boys, so that she can actually become more like Christ. In other words, as a husband, my concern is not just my wife's happiness. My concern is her holiness. And I influence that. I have a part to play. I can encourage godly living or I can discourage it. I hate the idea that perpetuates our culture where it's like, well, when my spouse and I hang out, it's like, it's just us. It's about our relationship. Then like she has her relationship with God and, and I have mine. Really? Really? Like, I understand, like, we have our own relationship with God. I didn't know that it was just for us. I didn't know that I'm supposed to only follow God when I'm alone. And I thought this was a public kind of faith. I thought this is an inclusive faith where I'm a part of a church and a global body. I thought I'm supposed to benefit people with my faith and not hide it from other believers. And not just say, well, it's your faith and with God and it's my faith with God. So let's just kind of, like detach from from Christianity when we come around each other that's garbage the believing husband just like Jesus was concerned with the holiness and purity of the bride the husband ought to be concerned with that too and you got to ask yourself husband is that a concern of mine here's, here's another layer to this husbands do you encourage your wife to be in fellowship with other women do you encourage your wife to get in church settings and to serve and to love and to benefit your local church? Do you encourage your wife to read the scriptures? Do you make time for her where she doesn't have to be with the kids and she can actually just detach from the kids and go sit before the Lord? Do you make time for that? Do you actually like sacrifice your own personal convenience and agenda and preferences so that she can get with the Father? Do you even make time for that? Do you sacrifice sleep and wake up earlier if you have to before you go to work so that your wife can get in the presence of God and grow in the knowledge of him so that she's more effective as a mother and a wife? Do you do that? Do you understand like the responsibility on the part of the husband? You're not just there to provide. You're not just there to coddle. You're not just there to encourage. You're there to be a reason that she is more like Christ. You don't just send her off to the closet and go, go and pray and seek the Father. When you guys are together, you're encouraging holiness with your conversation. You're encouraging holiness and godliness by the way that you live, by what you guys watch, by what you guys listen to, by who you guys hang out with, by where you guys go, by the decisions you make as a married couple. You should be concerned with what moves my wife towards Jesus. That should be your concern. And if it's not, I, I assure you, you can rise up a bit higher 
and be a little, you can be a better husband. And I can be a better husband. So Jesus washes the bride with his word, cleanses her by his sacrifice in order to present the bride to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing so that she can be holy, set apart, and without blemish. So Jesus goes, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to die and, and, and live in self-sacrificial love to the point of obedience unto the cross. And I'm doing it because I want to make way for people to be holy and forgiven and blameless before the Father. He cleanses. Like, I want you to notice this. The sacrifice and the love of Jesus it's purifying, like it's cleansing. Now, husband, I'm not saying you're going to do that for the soul of your wife. You don't do that. Christ does that. But you can have a purifying, cleansing effect on your wife and on her heart and on her way of life by bringing the Word of God into your marriage. I mean, you really got to ask yourself, how often does the truth of God's word come up in conversation? How often do you guys read the scriptures together? How often do you guys go to church to listen to godly preaching? How often do you get around other believers to hear the scriptures and, and work through it with other believers? How often, how much is God's word a part of your marriage? Not just obeying it and doing it, but growing in it and reading it together. How much is God's word driving your marriage? And husband, it's mostly on you. It's mostly on you to lead that charge. I'm not saying it's only on you, but if the wife is really you know, trusting the Lord that he's going to lead you, she's looking to your leadership. And she's waiting for you to grow up and care about God's word a little more than you do about YouTube. She's waiting for you to care a little more about the gospel than you do about your favorite video game, which you're not even going to like in a couple months. She's waiting for you to grow up and to become more like Christ and to care about her holiness and sanctification. So one of the purposes behind marriage is that men and women would be sharpened, transformed, become more like Jesus. Another purpose behind marriage is that both husband and wife would imitate Jesus. In other words, marriage is another opportunity to copy my Savior. Marriage is also an opportunity to love God by loving and serving and subjecting myself to my spouse. And you're going to see in the last verse that marriage is actually an opportunity to illustrate the gospel. So verse 28, it says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives. In what way? The way he just described in verse 27 that Jesus did? Remember, Jesus gives himself up for the church in order to purify, in order to sanctify, in order to make holy a people, okay? And Christ is concerned with the 
the holiness and purification of the bride. Now Paul says, Husbands, go love your wives like Jesus loved his bride. And love your wife as your own body. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we're members of his body. So now Paul brings in this idea of self-love. And he goes, look, no one is just out there abusing and hating and destroying and not cherishing self. Now, there are some ways to get around this idea, kind of. I don't want to go down those rabbit trails. The point is, everyone has a degree of self-love and care for self. There's a self-preserving tendency written on the heart of every human being. What's human nature is to preserve me, to protect me, to cherish me, right? To what degree you do that, that's different according to each person. But the point is no one just despises and hates the very essence and core of everything that they are to the degree that they're just abusing themselves. And there is self-harm, but the point is there is a degree of self-preservation in every person. And so if everyone nourishes and cherishes to a degree themselves and if the wife is if i'm one body with my wife and, and wife you're one body one flesh with your husband not just spiritually in christ but in a covenant marriage context before the father if you are one flesh you should have the same degree of nourishing feeding, cherishing, providing, caring for, you should have the same degree of cherishing for your wife or your husband as you do for yourself. Because we're members of his body, Jesus nourishes the church. Like he supplies, he feeds, he cares for, he tends to the church. And he cherishes it. That word cherish is a very strong word. Okay? Ephesians 5.29, when it says that Jesus cherished, cherishes, present tense. It's this idea of tender care. Another way of describing it is to keep warm, to warm, to tenderly care. It has like a nursing mother kind of illustration image to it. Okay, so when you think of cherishing, 1 Thessalonians 2.7 talks about a, a nursing mother tenderly caring for her baby. That's the idea. I'm not saying every husband and wife is a mother. The, the point is that, that, that cherishing kind of idea that a mother has for her baby or should that's what Christ demonstrates for the church. When I cherish you, I concern myself with your holiness and your relationship with God. And I cherish you to the point that I'm willing to sacrifice anything to keep God first in our marriage and in our lives. That's what's best for your wife. That's what's best for your husband, is that you would put God first yourself. And when two people are putting God first every day and seeking first his kingdom and they come together, what kind of marriage do you think that's going to look like? What kind of family do you think that will result in? 
It starts with putting God first. And the way I put him first is by prioritizing what God values in my marriage. And his presence has to be first, most valuable to me. Because we're members of Christ's body. He cherishes us. He cherishes us. Therefore, a man shall leave his father. Now, what Paul is going to reference here is Genesis chapter 2. Okay? Genesis 2 verse 24 specifically. He's going to quote this verse. Ready? This is what we get when we see Adam and Eve in the garden. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Now again, now again, watch. Before he quotes Genesis 2, he's using Genesis 2 to reinforce the idea that Jesus nourishes and cherishes the bride and that husbands are called to do the same. Watch. Okay. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to or hold fast to his wife. And the two, husband and wife, they'll become one flesh. Remember how Paul said, look, husbands, wives, cherish your spouse as your own flesh. Well, in the sight of God, when you're married and you come together in marital union, you are actually one flesh in the sight of God through the marriage covenant. Okay, it's, it's profound. Now look at verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It refers to Christ and the church. I really want you to think about that. The concept of marriage, the concept of a man and a woman leaving their families to start a new one together and to come together in marital union as one flesh, that idea is a mystery that's actually about Jesus and the church. So, here's what you should think about. When this verse, it's quoted from Genesis chapter 2, when Adam is put to sleep, he experiences a death-like sleep. When I tell you this, I want you to think of the parallels between Adam and Jesus. Okay, you ready? Adam was one. God actually put him in, in like a death-like sleep. He didn't die, but it was a death-like sleep. In order to pull from his side, part of Adam became his bride. Okay? So Eve came from the side of Adam historically and biblically. The two come together and they're one. Because Adam was put to sleep and from his side, his bride came. You think about Jesus who died. And on the cross, there's a spear that goes through his side to verify whether he was dead or not. And blood and water come pouring out of his side. And we are, through his sacrifice, through his precious blood, we come from him. We're, we're, we're actually from Christ. That's what we're a new creation in Jesus. This new humanity, it comes from Jesus. He establishes a new humanity in himself. So just like Eve, the bride, came from the side of Adam because he was put in a death-like sleep, through the death of Jesus, we're able to come from the side of Jesus. 
In other words, through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his, you know, self-sacrificial, self-giving love that makes way for us to be established as a bride. And he unites us to himself and he makes us one with himself. So the mystery of marriage and, and think about how a man leaves his father to go and get a bride. If you read about it, I think it's a Galilean wedding. Just Google Galilean wedding parallels to the Bible. There's so much. Just as Jesus left his father to come into our world to get a bride, and he died for that bride, and he made way for that bride by, by having blood pour out of his side through his sacrifice, his blood makes way for us to be holy and purified and united to himself. That's, the, that's what marriage is communicating. Like, think about it. Your future marriage, your current marriage, it's illustrating the gospel. The mystery of Jesus and his church, it's hidden deep within marriage. So when a husband and a wife come together and are unified as one in marriage covenant before God, and they have a family and they make one new out of the two, that's what Jesus does. He makes one new family out of Jew and Gentile. He makes one new family, right, out of uh, heaven and earth. He combines the two, combines the two in himself. He combines the two. So what you have to understand is your, the way you treat your spouse and the way you function as a wife or a husband is either obstructing the gospel and the deep mystery of Christ in the church or you're revealing and illustrating the truth of the gospel through your marriage. In other words, watch this. Your marriage can actually be confirmation of the death and resurrection of Christ. Your, your marriage can actually can be a convincing reason for someone to believe in the gospel because they see the mystery of Christ and his bride in the way that you lovingly treat your husband and how he lovingly treats you. So when a husband, and there's so much more on the line than just like, I'm just trying to make my husband happy. I just don't want him pissed off anymore. You know, there's so much more on the line than just like, I just want my wife to, uh, you know, spend more time with me. And there's so much more on the line. It's actually your marriage is possibly revealing the mystery of the gospel to people and they don't even know it and subconsciously they're going to be more convinced of the gospel when they hear it because they've seen your marriage now i'm not putting so much on you where it's like if you screw up your marriage just you screw someone's eternity that's not what i'm saying but one of the ways god works and convinces a person apparently is through a god honoring marriage where a husband is leading and caring for and nourishing and cherishing and laying his life down for his wife and seeking her benefit and sacrificing for her good and, and bringing her under care and provision. When a husband does that and a wife goes, I respect your leadership. I come under that. I'm not going to fight against that. I'm not going to push back. I'm going to trust you. When a husband and a wife come together and they honor God and they put him first, you are seeing the mystery of Christ and the church unfolding in that relationship. You're seeing it. Now, verse 33, 
It says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. And for you women that are like, this is for the man. Or for you men that are like, this is for the women. This is for you. The fact that you think this is for someone else is evidence that this is most likely you, something you need to hear. But you're too busy thinking of how this is better for other people. And you're missing out on an opportunity to actually become way better. So my encouragement to you guys is to not point the finger and be quick to send this to your spouse or send this to your friend who's struggling in their marriage. Think about how you need to rise up and actually raise the standard a bit. Think about how you need to raise the bar in your marriage or your future marriage or, or you becoming the spouse that you want to be one day. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. There's the call on the husband. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's the call on the wife. Each of those roles are not more valuable than the other. Neither of those are more important or more significant or more purpose-filled or, or more important to God. Again, husband and wife, one is not inferior and one is not superior. We're equal in the sight of God. Equally valuable, equally purposed, equally empowered, equally spirit-filled, equally saved, equally children of God. You need to understand this is not an issue of women seem inferior and men seem superior. If there's any degree of men even looking superior, they're on their knees coming underneath you to lift you up. In other words, if they have a degree of authority that you're pissed off by, that authority should benefit you and lift you higher. They shouldn't lift themselves above you. If they are, they're using it improperly. But if there is a degree of authority that a husband has to lead and care for and provide and cherish his wife, you should be lifted higher because of the authority God's given him. And if you're not, you need to pray for him. And husband, if you're not doing that, you need to pray that God would make you the man of God you need to be to lift your wife higher, to raise her up, to benefit her life more. Do you see how marriage is so misunderstood in our society. The hidden meaning of marriage is Christ and the church. You can cultivate the best possible marriage. When you understand, watch, there are four things marriage is purposed for, for you to become more like Jesus, for you to imitate Jesus, for you to love God, and for you to illustrate the gospel. Those are the purposes of marriage. And of course, you're going to have kids and stuff like that, but... That's not what I'm getting into right now. So, that's Ephesians chapter 5. Now, if you guys didn't already know this, we're actually going to go jump on a Zoom call in about 30 minutes, okay? So, when we come together on Zoom, we pray with one another, we encourage, we share testimonies, we fellowship, we inspire. You guys don't have to turn on your camera. You don't have to turn on your mic. You can just jump in the Zoom call and be a fly on the wall. No one will bother you. Or you can get involved and ask for prayer. We'll pray with you or share what you're, you're learning and answer the questions and engage in conversation. I encourage you to do that. Um, but we're going to do that in about 30 minutes, okay? For now, let me tell you about AboveReproachMinistry.com, okay? This is my full-time job to support my wife and two kids. This is real. Like, I legit do this. Every single day, we do something together as a community. 
And if you want to know everything about this ministry, go to AboveReproachMinistry.com. And by the way, the Zoom link, sorry, I failed to mention this. The Zoom link is in my TikTok profile or in the YouTube description below. Okay, so if you want the Zoom link, it's on my profile. It's not hard to find. Just click the link. Hey, look, Zoom link. The password is Jesus. And we're going to jump on at 1130 Eastern Standard Time. It's in about 35 minutes, 34 minutes. But if you visit AboveReproachMinistry.com, which is linked to my profile as well and in the YouTube description below, you can find everything about this ministry, our podcast, our YouTube channel, the book that I've written. It's a fantastic resource, especially for new believers, the essential keys to living the most abundant, satisfying life, to know your position, your purpose, and the process God brings you through. Um, you can also find uh, ways to give to this ministry. Uh, through Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo, or it's so you can help me create this free content all across the planet. And you're like, what free content? All you do is Bible studies. Nope. We have free online Bible study courses that I we design one every week. Every week there's a free online Bible study course that we release. It's on my website. If you really want to take your Bible study seriously, if you really want to develop the skills necessary to effectively read the Bible and draw out truth, like you should probably go take those online courses one at a time, slowly but surely. Um, and we also have <clears throat> every week these free devotional studies that work alongside the online courses. And so you can find those free devotional studies. You can take people through it. You can do it yourself. It's something you should do throughout the week because every Friday we have a Bible study workshop. So every week we do we do this specific thing where it's like we have a free Bible study um, uh, workshop where you can develop the skills. We have a free online course that's about that, that connects to that workshop. And then we have a free Bible study devotional study that you can do on your own time, you know, after the, the workshop and after the online courses that you've taken or before. Um, so if you guys would like to, Help me keep creating this free content all across the planet. The goal is to make as many resources and to teach people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. So again, the, the online Bible study courses are free. The Bible, the devotional studies are free. The podcast is free. The YouTube channel is free. The book, obviously, publishing costs money. Um, the content, the training, the resources we create, the community on Discord, the Zoom calls, all of this is completely free. And so the point is to keep it free, but I'm only able to do this full time and support my family because of generous supporters like you. So if you want to give one time through Cash App or PayPal or Venmo, that'd be awesome. Um, you can also become a monthly supporter, which is really what my wife and I need. We need monthly support where we can look at our finances every month and go, okay, we have enough for groceries and bills. We need for sure something every month. So if you want to help out and give on a monthly basis, you can do, throw, do so through Patreon. And when you sign up through Patreon, you actually get a ton of exclusive benefits. You get access to my teaching notes, uh, the material I upload, my sermon notes and outlines. Um, you get discount codes on the church merch, our Christ Center clothing, whoop, whoop, above reproach apparel. Um, you also get a free copy of my book, a free digital copy of my book, depending on the tier you sign up with when you become a monthly supporter through Patreon. And all of this, again, you don't have to give, but if you've benefited 
and you feel the Lord leading you to, go ahead and give and help us to create, keep creating all this completely free for anyone across the planet. Um, so in the meantime, I do want to take a few questions. Haven't done this in a while. I would love to take a few questions. It can be about marriage. It could be about the Bible. I'm going to be really picky about what questions I answer because we only have about 30 minutes. So, <coughs> sorry. So if y'all are new here, visit AboveReproachMinistry.com. The link is in my profile, in the YouTube description below. Um, everything you can, join the Discord community, man. Get in the Discord community. We have voice chats all throughout the week. All sorts of things happening. We don't only have this. Tuesday nights, we have women's Bible study. I don't lead it. My wife does. Uh, Thursday nights, we have family Bible study where we're going through Romans together over Zoom. Um, so we're doing a lot. Every, every day, we have a, every day we have a, um, a Zoom call. Every day. A Zoom prayer call. But I only go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there's a live stream and a Zoom call. Monday through Friday, there's a Zoom call every every of those days. Every one of those days. So questions, any questions about um, just today's material and maybe points of clarification I need to make? If I don't know it, I'll, I'll tell you. I don't know, but I'll do my best to tell you if I do know, if I'm confident enough to answer. So any Bible-based questions, any faith-based questions? Christianity, Jesus questions, um, I'd love to answer. God bless you. Thank you for coming. For those of you that are like, how, why is this teenager out of school right now? I'm 29, turn 30 in August. Don't you dare judge me. And my two kids are my certification. They're outside right now. Any questions? Uh... J underscore Olam says, I need assistance in knowing him more. Sweet. I have the best answer ever because I do it every day. If you want to know God, read the Bible, have a plan, make a commitment to reading the Bible throughout the week. Um... And I'm telling you, when you seek the Lord in his word and in prayer and in community with other believers, you're going to know him more. You are. I promise. Uh, someone said, could you move the cam to the left? I want to see that menu. It's not a menu. It's my shirt. Now we sell it above reproach ministry.com and all the proceeds go straight to all this free content. Um, do you save your live streams? I do. Thank you for asking. Uh, all these live streams get saved on my YouTube channel. So if you ever miss a live stream or if you want to catch up, we've gone through Ephesians. We've gone through first Corinthians. We've gone through Philippians and Colossians. Uh, we've done all, we do topical studies too. So if you want to check out everything we've done, check out my YouTube channel, uh, linked in my TikTok profile and you'll find, um, every video. Why do I have anxiety? Someone says. I feel like everything is getting worse. Okay, before I answer that, someone's asking for the Zoom link. So let me get the Zoom link for you. 
uh, right here. Let me make sure this is the right one. Yeah, this is the right one. Here is the Zoom link and password is Jesus. Now, regarding the anxiety, I, I personally don't know why you have anxiety. I know the general reasons for anxiety. Um, and if you want to give to Cash App, sorry, uh, as I'm answering this question, I'm reading the comments and people are asking things. Uh, my Cash App name is Jason John Camacho, all one word. Jason John Camacho, and it's at the bottom of my website if you'd like to give. But the general reasons for anxiety are usually future-based. Usually these hypotheticals, usually things we don't have much control over, or things we do have control over, but we know we're not doing everything we can to relieve the anxiety in that, in that area. Um, I, I've done a whole message on anxiety I don't want to, um, or maybe it's Jason Camacho. I think it's both. My username is Jason John Camacho. And my, my profile name, ah, Jason John Camacho. Search that and you'll find it. But um, I, I personally don't know why you have anxiety. I do know regardless of, of the anxiety, the solution is always going to be the same. Kid868, your anxiety is destroyed gets absolutely demolished by the truth of god's word and so i i know this is can seem overly simplistic it's not when you have anxiety and you actually bring that to god and you say i am anxious about fill in the blank my future uncertainty whether i'm going to get the job if i'm going to pass my test tomorrow i am anxious for no reason here i am lord when you bring that to god your job is not just to bring the Lord your anxieties. Your job is to remind yourself and ask God to help you remember His promises, what He's done for you, His Word, who He is, what He's going to do in your future, what He has done in your past through your faith in Christ. Remember all these things. And, and I'm telling you, that there's, there's some wonderful thing that takes place where the truth of God comes in and it just dispels anxiety. Now, that's not always this immediate thing. It's not always this glamorous thing. It's not always just in the very second I pray that God can do that. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's after consistently coming to him throughout the day. And at the ninth time I do and recall his promises and, and sit in his presence and remember his word, it leaves. You know, maybe... I don't know how anxiety functions and the mechanics of it. The point is, the solution is peace. And peace comes from Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with God, you can't have real lasting peace that can protect your heart from anxiety and worry. Something is going to take up residency in your heart. Whether peace whether anxiety, whether worry, whether joy, your heart is always going to be filled with something at any given moment. You will always have some kind of experience. There's always a reality there. And so when it comes to the scriptures, I need to fill myself up more and more with the word of God daily. Bring my concerns and anxieties before him. Voice them. 
and then ask God to bring me deeper into the peace that he alone can give me. Jesus says, look, in this world, you'll have trouble. It's not like when, when I look at anxiety and worry, I go, yeah, like that's what I expect from a world that's dominated by sin and darkness. That, that, that's, what I, that's what I see and expect from a world that's governed by evil spiritual forces in the, in the invisible realms. That's what I expect. When a Christian has anxiety and worry, then I go, well, God has given us a greater inward reality of heaven that overrides the current reality in the, of this world. In other words, what is true of me in Christ is more true and more weighty than anything going on in this world. This world is fleeting and passing away and it won't always be full of trouble. God's going to come back and reshape everything and destroy the world as it is and recreate a new one. And heaven and earth will be united in Christ. That's awesome. So in the meantime, I can access peace from heaven, bring it into this troubled world and maintain peace in Christ as I navigate the troubles of this life. So Jesus says, in this world, you'll have tribulation, you'll have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome it. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. He's conquered it, he's triumphed, he's above it, and he brings us with him. So anxiety and worry is always worldly based. It's always centered around something, or it's you know something that's of God that's been perverted in a worldly way. And I just need to allow God to take the truth of his word to raise me up above the ways of this culture and society so that I remember, oh, what is true of Christ, what God has promised, that the ways of heaven, now that's most true. That's ultimate reality. Now this world, it's still reality. It's still actually happening. I'm not negating the, 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 uh, <clears throat> the reality of this broken world, but there's something more true because it lasts into eternity. And this world doesn't. The things of this world doesn't, the anxieties and the worries and the troubles of this world, they don't last. The truth of God does. And His promises do. And what God has accomplished through His Son for me, that's eternal. Someone named Angel Noah D. Sorry, I can't even say it with a straight face. He said, as a single person, how can Ephesians 5 help me? There's so many ways to answer that. Let's just go the most um, obvious route. As a single person, when I hear Ephesians 5, husbands do this, wives do this, and I go, <laughs> I don't have a spouse. Doesn't apply to me. Oh, no, it does. The verse before it tells us every Christian is called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you go, we're all called to submit to God, right? He says, submit to one another. That is how you submit to God and show reverence for him. So every, every Christian is called to submit. Every Christian is called to lay down life for each other. So the principles I see at work in the husband, leading, caring for, loving, serving, laying life down. Now that's for every believer. But particularly in the marriage context, he's doing that for his wife. Same is true for a wife. A wife is demonstrating universal principles that are true for all Christians. So a wife is, is listening and respecting and trusting 
and coming under the care. Now, now th- those are principles that are for all believers as they relate to God. But the wife is doing it in relation to their, her husband. So the principles that the husband demonstrates and the wife demonstrates, that's not just for a husband and wife to grow up in. That's for me to grow up in as a single person. I should grow in my yielding and trusting God and, and my submitting to his ways and, and my letting him lead my life and direct my, my decisions. I, I should grow in serving and submitting my life to others and, and laying life down for the good of others. I should grow in love for people and self-sacrificial, self-giving love for people. And that happens as I imitate Christ. Husband and wife are imitating Jesus for each other's benefit. As a single person, I'm also imitating Jesus for the church's benefit. Whether it's in a yielding, submissive context, or I'm, I'm, I'm leading and directing and serving and laying life down, no matter what, these principles are true for all believers. But the marriage context is, is, is just nuanced, okay? The other way is to prepare now. A lot of people are like, I'll become, a, I'll become the right spouse when I meet the right one. Yeah, they ain't going to stick around long because you ain't ready. Your job is to prepare for the spouse you're believing for. In other words, instead of, you know, scrolling through Instagram going, I don't know if I'd marry her. She's nice. I mean, she likes me. Instead of spending your time looking, you should spend your time becoming. Right? You should spend your time pursuing Jesus and becoming more like him to be the most effective spouse for when you meet your future spouse. Brittany, you are here. Good morning. We miss you as well. It's good to see you. I hope you can make the Zoom call in about 15 minutes. I hope so. We've missed you around. We've got to get you back in the flow of things. Whatever it takes. So guys, whether you're single or not, these principles are true for all believers. And your job is to become the best spouse now. Start becoming, practicing, and, and seeking Jesus and anticipating that one day what, what you're believing for, a godly spouse, you'll be ready and prepared for. Right? You're expecting a, this perfect loaf of bread of a spouse and you're half-baked. You're barely in the oven for five minutes. You still have a lot of growth to, to do. You still have a lot of maturity to go through, but... The point is, you should be intentionally preparing for the spouse you believe God has for you. And even if you die in the singleness, the point is you prepared faithfully, and it still made you the best possible brother or sister to the rest of the church. That's the point. I'm not just trying to be the best spouse. I'm trying to be the best child of God. And that looks like being the best spouse, the best brother, the best son, the best father, the best husband, the best coworker, right? The best student, the best neighbor. I'm trying to be the best possible child of God I can be because that is ultimate priority. Every other role is submitted to that first primary role of child of God. And it's ultimate. It holds... Uh, preeminence in my life is my role as a child of God because it influences every other arena of life right I'm only a better husband when I'm living like a child of God I'm only a better father 
when I'm living like a child of God. I'm only a better coworker and neighbor and friend and son when I'm doing that as a child of God, imitating my father. So, uh, any other questions before we get out of here? The 48 of you. And then on, <coughs> on YouTube. Thank you so much. Lisa says, hey there, Lisa. I found you on TikTok. Mental healing and growing with God can help anxiety. I used to have severe anxiety. Me too. Me too. Yeah, and, and anxiety isn't this once-for-all thing you just destroy and it never comes up. Temptation is going to stick around, man. Temptation is going to try and get you. And anxiety will try and creep up and over, you know, uh, overtake you like it used to. And you just grow stronger and your, your, your resistance becomes better. So, any other questions? We have a Zoom call in about 14 minutes. 14 minutes, guys. We're jumping in to our prayer call as a family. And I encourage you to be there. Trolls, unfortunately, you're not welcome. Disrespectful people are not welcome. Jovan, I, I don't even want to try and say your name. Someone says, my friend is taking drugs for anxiety. Is that okay? Do you mean like medicinal? Like, uh, what's it called? Pharmaceutical stuff? Well, when you say drugs, do you mean like medication? Or like my man is, I don't know, rolling and smoking and snorting. What do you mean? Because I, I think medication, uh, medication, okay. Is that okay? I can't say, well, there's no universal command in scripture to say like medication bad. What if I just snapped my leg in half and the pain is killing me and they're trying to do surgery and they need to medicate me? What if, um, I don't know, I go into shock and, and or I get bit by a um, really venomous spider and the only kind of thing that's going to heal that is, is, is medication and some kind of you know, foreign substance that I need to inject, and it's, 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 it's medication, but it's also like, it's kind of like drug-inducing kind of thing, like, is that okay? Yeah, it's, it's okay. The question is, why, why are you taking the medication? Does it control you? Are you doing it in excess? Um, are you replacing God with that medication? Do you trust more in that medication to care for you than you do in God? Um, which doesn't mean if you take medication, then therefore you're not trusting God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just asking these questions because it's not a clear-cut yes or no. It's not a clear-cut yes or no. If it's helping, that's cool. That's not an automatic yes for me. If it's helping, then I should say, hmm... Is this helping because I'm running to it instead of God who can help me just as much, if not more? Like, did I run to medication first and didn't even think of going to God? And God is just a second, 
uh, just a last resort. You know, once the medication doesn't work, then I run to God. If medication works before I ever run to God and, and seek healing from Him and help from Him, then maybe that's an issue. If medication begins to replace God's care in your life and you go, I trust more in this medication to care for me than God, probably unhelpful. If you become addicted, if it forms an unhealthy addiction and habit, maybe you should back off and reconsider. Um, if you do it in excess, right to the point where you're not even yourself and you're not even thinking right and you're not in your right, your right mind, you're not even you anymore at this point, maybe back off and reconsider. Um, so, I, I can't say whether this person should right now in this moment be on medication or not. It could be a seasonal thing where God actually uses that to do a plethora of other things. And then eventually he brings this person out of it. Or maybe God never intended for this person to take medication at all. And they didn't even seek the Lord in that decision. So again, I can't say a yes or no. Just, just some thoughts to consider. Just some thoughts. Nine minutes. Nine minutes before we are on our Zoom call, guys. But I, I don't know if... I don't think it's dishonoring to God to take something that he's made available and to relieve an issue in your life um, after seeking counsel and going to him and running to God as your healer primarily, you know. And maybe you get to a point where you don't need it anymore and that's great. <laughs> and if she's taking a lot, again, excess is an issue, I think, because it can become abuse. It can become addiction. It can become this thing where I need it instead of God. And that's never true, but we can believe that lie, you know. So, I know many people have testimonies about how, um, you know, just they slipped into it after one injury or one issue and they ended up abusing it and becoming addicted and they wish they never did it and they they could go back in the past they would change it other people they have total control and they only use it for you know temporary relief which again it's like when you have anxiety i don't know that all the specific details around psychology and and the mind but i do know that anxiety can breed can be primarily a spiritual issue. So when it's a spiritual issue and you you um you try and use a a a worldly physical material solution I don't know if long term you're going to actually experience real healing and real resolution. Uh, we chalk everything up to purely scientific, purely um of the body, purely a bodily issue, purely material in nature, you know, it's, it's just, it's just chemistry, it's just the, the, the mind, so we need to give medita medication, I, I don't think anxiety is ever only purely a physical bodily thing, an issue of chemistry, and again, I, I'm not educated enough, but I, but I do know what the Bible says about anxiety, 
And now, interestingly enough, medication for anxiety is a fairly new thing. You know what I mean? It's like last hundred years or so. So how did people survive anxiety and worry and, and depression <coughs> prior to all this medication? Apparently, they didn't need it. Apparently, we've assigned um, too much value and purpose to medication. Can you answer my question, please? Yeah, what's your question? I don't see your question, man. Unless you are asking if you can ask a question, which if that's your question, then sure, I answered it. I'm just kidding. But yeah, what's your question? What is your question, Gil or Gal? And then we'll get out of here, Gil. All right. And we have our Zoom call in about five minutes, so I'm gonna have to jump off like two minutes early so I can go pee, get some water, make sure my kids didn't, you know, burn our house down. Because it's not even my house, it's my parents' house that I get to live in. Come on guys, one last question, let's squeeze it in. All right. Well, Gil, I, I don't see your question. I'm sorry. I didn't see it at all. Um, I'm scrolling through the chat right now. Don't see it. Don't see it in the question box either. So I'm going to go in like two minutes. I thought I'd be able to squeeze in one last question. But again, guys, as we get out of here and transition to our Zoom prayer call, I um, encourage you guys to check out abovereproachministry.com. The link is in my TikTok profile. Just click the link. Boom, you're on the website. Free online Bible study skills courses. Um, free devotional studies, podcast, the YouTube channel, my book. Um, ways to give, the Discord community. Find me on Instagram. All of that. Um, the angel almost burned his house down. My goodness. My goodness. All right, guys, I encourage you, if you feel that tugging in your heart and spirit to join the Zoom call, God might have something for you. Don't miss it in the name of I'm socially awkward. Come on, really? You got this. God's calling you to join. It's time for you to join and step out. Get more involved, all right? Hey, look, there's Jess. Good to see you guys. And so jump in the Zoom call in about four minutes. I'll see you guys there. Don't miss it. I'll be really sad, and so will you. You'll be extra sad. Zoom call link in my TikTok bio, YouTube chat. Password is Jesus. Password is Jesus.